With divorce rates being approximately 50%, many individuals have to deal with the tax implications upon divorce. This episode examines the treatment of alimony, child support payments, and filing status options updated for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Welcome to the Accounting Tips for Entrepreneurs podcast. My name is Jeff Skolnick and I am a CPA with 35 years of experience working with small business owners, entrepreneurs, and network marketers on how to make their business more successful by understanding how taxes can work in their favor and not hurt their business. Each and every week I'm going to come to you with short, quick, and helpful tips on not only how to make sure you are doing everything possible to minimize your income tax liability, but also how to create the income for your business that you truly deserve. As I mentioned in the opening, in today's environment of divorce rate in excess of 50%, coupled with changes in the taxability and deductibility of alimony payments, alimony, child support payments, and filing status options have become even more of a hot topic than in the past. This episode will explain in a little more detail what these rules are. First of all, what is alimony and what are the tax implications? The first thing you have to keep in mind is you must separate couples that divorced before 2019 from those that divorced after 2018. The rules have changed beginning in 2019, but I'll get into that in a few minutes. The first thing I want to do is explain what alimony is and what child support is. Alimony is clearly defined by the Internal Revenue Code, and payments which meet the definition of alimony are allowed as deductions whether or not the individual itemizes on the return of the payer and includable as income on the return of the payee or recipient. This holds true for anybody divorced prior to 2019. Again, in 2019, the rules change and I'll go over those in in a minute or two. In order for payments to be considered alimony, the following tests must be met. Payments must be made under a divorce or separation agreement. The divorce or separation agreement does not designate the payments as child support or a property settlement. Payments must be in cash or check. Divorced or legally separated couples must live in separate households and the obligation to make payments must end upon the death of the payee's spouse. Now, although the definition of alimony has not changed, in the past decade there have been more couples living together until they can sell their home. It's important to keep in mind that as long as they live in the same home, the payments being made, even if under a divorce or separation agreement, are not alimony. So what is considered child support and what are the tax implications of that? Well, child support payments are simply what they say, payments to support the children. There is no deduction to the payer spouse nor any income to be reported by the payee spouse. Basically, the IRS position on this is, or Congress position on this, is that it's your responsibility to take care of your own children, so there's really no income or expense item here. This is just simply a matter of you guys are taking care of your kids. Okay, now, what happens in a situation where somebody falls behind in their alimony and child support payments? I mean, obviously, sometimes people run into a rough time, and they fall behind. So how do you treat, if you didn't get 100% of the payments, how do you treat what is alimony and what is child support? 
Well, the methodology is basically that all payments are applied to child support first, and then the remainder is considered alimony. So this could be good or bad depending on whose perspective you're looking at. If you're the paying spouse and you're already struggling to pay, um, whatever you pay is now not deductible, so that's not a good thing for you. However, if you're the recipient spouse, any money you receive until the child support is fully paid is not considered taxable. Again, only alimony is taxable. Now, what is a property settlement? That's a third term that was thrown in there, and uh, I know a lot of people aren't familiar with that. Property settlements are incident to a divorce, so in other words, they happen after divorce, are defined as transfers from one spouse to another within one year of the date of which the marriage ceases. So in other words, any property transferred from one spouse to another within a year is considered a property settlement. It's not considered alimony. It's not considered child support payments. So generally, these are not taxable, or there are some special rules regarding retirement plans and IRAs. Uh, And an important thing to remember is the basis in the property um, is the same when it's given from one spouse to another. So in other words, the basis transfers from one spouse to the other. Whatever their cost basis is, is, is transferred to the spouse that receives it. Now, a law change for those divorced after 2018. So as I mentioned, there's a law change in effect for anybody who was divorced after 2018. So if a couple was divorced after 2000, after December 31st of 2018, then while the definition of alimony is still the same, it will no longer be deductible by the payor or income to the recipient. Please keep in mind, if you were divorced before 2019, your alimony continues to be deductible if you're the payor, and it continues to be income to you as a recipient. So nothing changed. If you were divorced prior to 2019, the way you treat alimony going forward is the same as you treated it beforehand. It's only for couples that were divorced after 2018. Alimony will no longer be deductible by the spouse paying the support and alimony will no longer be considered income by the spouse receiving it. Now, another thing that gets affected when couples get divorced are filing statuses. So first thing I want to do is explain what the filing statuses are. There are five filing statuses available to taxpayers. These are single, married filing jointly, married filing separately, head of household, and qualifying widower. Qualifying widower has nothing to do with divorce, but has to do with an individual whose spouse passed away within the last two calendar years before the tax year in question, and a household was was maintained for a dependent child or stepchild. Just wanted to throw that out so you knew what it was, but it really doesn't relate to our discussion, so I'm not going to get into it any more than that. Okay, now you can file a single if you are unmarried at the end of the year or separated from a spouse by divorce or a separate maintenance decree. Now, married taxpayers have the choice to either file as joint taxpayers, in other words, they file the return jointly, or they may each file separate returns. Now, one thing to keep in mind is if, well, a couple things to keep in mind. If you want to file a joint return, you can do so if you are married and living together, married and living apart but not legally separated or divorced, separated but not by a final divorce decree, or living in a common law state. Now, you always have the option, if you're married, of married filing separately. 
However, if you're married filing separately, very often you will pay a higher income tax rate and will either lose out on or have a reduced benefit of various credits. And it's important to keep in mind what these credits are. They are the earned income credit, credit for elderly or disabled, unless you lived apart for the entire year, child and dependent care credit, unless you lived apart for the last six months of the year, and the adoption credit, unless you lived apart for the last six months of the year. It also makes you ineligible for education credits and the traditional IRA contribution amounts if your spouse was covered by a retirement plan or the Roth IRA contribution limits start to phase out from $0 of adjusted gross income and are totally phased out by $10,000 of adjusted gross income. So it makes it very hard, if not impossible, to either contribute to a traditional IRA and have it deducted if your spouse was covered by a retirement plan. And it also makes it very difficult, if not impossible, for you to um, contribute to a Roth IRA. So those are some things that are very important to keep in mind when you're trying to decide if you're married filing jointly or married filing separately. And obviously, when there's a divorce situation, sometimes tensions run high and taxpayers aren't necessarily thinking logically. So you definitely, and, and I've had to do this on many occasions, you have to sit them down, explain to them what the pluses and minuses are before they make that decision. Okay, and the last um, filing status I want to get into is head of household. You may be able to file as head of household if you meet all the following requirements. You are unmarried at the end of the year or considered unmarried on the last day of the year. So if you lived apart from your spouse for the last six months of the year, you may be considered unmarried or you will be considered unmarried. You have to have paid more than half the cost of keeping up the home for the year and a qualifying person lived with you in the home for more than half the year, except for temporary absences such as your, your kid was in college. However, if you're, a qualifying person is your dependent parent, he or she does not need to live with you. The head of household offers certain tax advantages over those that are filing as single. So all of these things must be looked at if individuals are divorced or in the process of getting divorced, it's very important to keep, again, alimony, child support, property settlements, and filing statuses all in your mind. And as always, if you are looking into one of these particular situations, unless you're very well versed in it, it always makes sense to go talk to a professional. Thanks again for listening to the Accounting Tips for Entrepreneurs podcast. If you could please head over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Spotify and leave me a five-star rating and write a review. Also, please connect with me on social media. If there are any tax or accounting-related topics you would like me to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. If you are that small business owner or entrepreneur that really wants to learn more about how to minimize your tax liability and maximize your income, just head over to www.jeffcpaworld.com and I'll see you over there. Have a great day.